Certainly the talk of hybrid uh, work is big in the headlines, and that is because it's a major demand of the uh, biggest of the public servants as far as their strike action. They want it enshrined in the Constitution. But, uh, you know, so it's not going anywhere. We don't really know what it's going to look like in the future, but we also don't know what the implications, um, if it's enshrined into collective agreements, like what that could do to labor forces, how it would impact the economy. What would it mean for our city's downtown cores? Uh, we don't have the, the data to show the long-term implications of this kind of work model. We don't even have a structural framework for this kind of model. But there was earlier in February this study out of the United uh, the uh, U of T, and they tracked cell phone data of major North American cities to see which cities were recovering and others that were falling behind. And we came in 41st out of 62. So the concern is that because of hybrid work, uh, Toronto will likely return to 70% of uh, the vibrancy that we saw before COVID. So it means we're going to have 30% less people in bars, less people in restaurants, less people in retail stores, less people on transit. And we're going to have a lot of really expensive buildings sitting half empty for a number of days a week. So we're not seeing this in other places where people have returned to work, but it is a real issue and something that the mayoral candidates should have to ask. How will you get people back or how would you reimagine the city of Toronto? Shauna Braille is an economic geographer, urban planner, associate professor over at the Institute for Management and Innovation at the University of Toronto, Mississauga. Good to have you. Thanks, Alex. It's great to join you. So what what would be the question you have in mind for a mayoral candidate as far as, you know, the recovery of a downtown like Toronto? That is a great question. Um, and, you know, some of the things that I would want to ask mayoral candidates about the future of, of the city, given where we're at in terms of uh, pandemic recovery, uh, revolve around a couple of things that you've already mentioned. One of them, really importantly, is data. How are we going to monitor um, and and manage what we know about return to work, return to the city, using evidence? And that evidence can include and needs to include data, which, as we know, um, we don't have the right kinds of data to understand this. I know you mentioned mm -hmm. the um, cell phone study, and that is one source of data. Uh, but we need to actually look at a lot of different sources of data to understand, including uh, transit data, uh, including census data on where people are living. So one, one question is around, you know, what data are you looking at and how are you making sure that we have the data that we need as a city to make uh, good, effective, appropriate decisions. The second one is, and, and again, you, you alluded to this, is that if we're only going to peak at 70%, and I would say that, you know, in the, the past three years has demonstrated that we actually don't know what's temporary and what's permanent in terms of the urban impacts of COVID-19. And so there were a lot of things that we thought were permanent that actually were not. We thought handshakes and hugs were done, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Goodbye. Mm -hmm. Uh, but we also thought things like dining in person in restaurants or ever going back. Some people, you know, thought no one's going back to the office um, if they work in a, in a professional setting. And we know that that's absolutely not the case. So there needs to be a lot of caution regarding decisions that are made today that can close doors for tomorrow. And the future we're looking at, you know, is remains highly uncertain. Yeah. I mean, so, 
I was just going to say Sorry, the, the public sector unions will say, look, it worked for us. We were able to get stuff done. But I think that's their own argument. We have other data that shows, well, you know, services went down when, when you were working out of home. But I would think, mm-hmm. you know, you need a couple of different cycles for, for private business to figure out were workers, pro, you know, productive during the pandemic versus let's see like like two or three years after the fact what what went on what changed did it go up did it go down and the other thing is um you know the cost to business of running bricks and mortar and all those things you know is it uh, is the productivity enough that they you know can keep the bricks and mortar or are going to get rid of them um you know maybe we i guess in the next five years shauna do recover uh 100 that would be great to see but i mean there has no question i think been a shift in, in habits. And when you get yeah. a big city like Toronto, where, you know, especially in that financial district where people leave work on a Thursday, Friday, they're downtown, they're shopping, they're on the pathway, they're eating lunch. I mean, it's a pretty critical avenue for our local economy to get people in those buildings. Mm-hmm, absolutely. You know, the other thing that we would want to look at in, in the city is, is around, you know, if people who are are not going to work from their office every day, but maybe are going two or three days a week, what kinds of other sort of consumption and amenities are they are they consuming um, over the course of the week? And just because somebody isn't going to their office doesn't actually mean that there are 30% fewer people in restaurants or in parks or in, excuse me, in coffee shops, right? And so we know that the, those face-to-face interactions are so crucially important and people want to be mm-hmm. out. Um, and so there is a need to think about the role of a me- of a range of amenities. Uh, there's a need to think about putting more housing in the downtown core. Now, Toronto as a city actually has quite a bit, you know, has, has hundreds of thousands of residents uh, in the downtown with a large pipeline, particularly of condominiums being built. Um, but how do we think about, you know, whether there's a need and a desire and, and a, a possibility of perhaps converting some office buildings, especially office buildings that are older, that are less desirable, um, that maybe have a, a, a plate that a template that allows for uh, conversion to residential uses that allows for things like light mm-hmm. <laughs> and access, right? Um but those things, those are really, really important to, to consider. I actually just traveled back from London, England, where they have an unbelievable transit system. And so I was reading about return to transit, which is um, in London, the return to transit is about 80% during the week and well over 100% on the weekends. Mm-hmm. And I think that really goes to show you people are people are moving, they are going out and about, spaces are being used. And we need to think about not just spaces from a, you know, especially office areas from a nine to five perspective, but from a 24 seven perspective, how do we animate these spaces and ensure that they are attractive and desirable and accessible uh, and also affordable so that we can continue to have a vibrant uh, city center. Yeah. I mean, in, in the United States, they have started to utilize some of the buildings in their downtown core for housing. But what does that look like? Um, it is very expensive real estate down there. Could it work? Are there the kinds of services available? Uh, I don't know if it could work. But again, maybe that uh, maybe there's a plan that could show very much that it could. Mm-hmm. My sense is it could work on a very limited basis for a small, perhaps a small number of buildings but not at a large scale right. and nor would you want it to take place on a, on a large scale because if you 
um, you know, if you get, there are people are still going to their office right now, let's say two, three days a week for most professional workers. We see uh, private sector firms who in the past had said, great work, temp work remotely forever, actually changed their tune pretty quickly, right? So when it's not when when remote work is policy but not enshrined, yeah, <laughs> there's yeah. flexibility, and then you're able to respond to dynamism, and you're able to respond to new needs as they arise. Yeah, um, you know, there, there's no question about it. Being in person certainly helps the brain and the mental uh, well-being of you know creative ideas and and just kind of. Uh, sharing of ideas. The other thing, though, is, Sean, and we've seen this, you look to Ottawa with all those government workers uh, not going back to work, you can see the local economy, just the impacts on it. Um, you know, if those workers don't go to lunch or they don't get a coffee in the afternoon, a lot of those mom and small uh, pop, uh, small places, they can't survive. So there does become yes. a real big question that if, you know, you've got a bunch of government workers that aren't going to the office, are we keeping these office spaces? Are we selling them, repurposing them? Because they're not cheap. Mm -hmm. No, that's right. And the other the other important thing to remember is that municipalities, which rely yeah. on property taxes, yeah. Yeah. Um, are 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 continuing to struggle and don't have other uh, strong means of raising revenues. And so, if there is a uh, a large exodus from from offices, this will have really continued devastating impacts on the municipalities that are losing out the most. Yeah. Well, is, have you um, got any data as to how long it'll take before we, we think things will settle, settle and we'll actually start to get a true picture? No, I wish I could say yes, okay. <laughs> but the answer is no. And I don't know that anybody has that data. I think, you know, we've seen a lot of, we know that in order to understand these, the changes that are taking place in cities, we need a whole range of data, right? We need the sort of formal, traditional, uh, statistical and census data to understand um, in, you know, I, information about um, uh, labor force, around salaries, around housing, around population. But we've also relied quite heavily on non-traditional data, right? On privately collected data, like mm -hmm. cell phone data. Mm -hmm. um, and also on some sort of unexpected sources of data, right? How many people are buying their coffees uh, at Starbucks, right? And yeah. using the app and then how does that enable a private company to be able to see what recovery looks like? But in terms of understanding, you know, or, or projecting out how long will it take, even the projections have been incorrect. And so <laughs> I think one, one hopes, one aspires to be able to say we're looking at another X number of, of months or years, but it will take time. Yeah. Stay tuned. All right, Shauna, very much appreciated. Thank you. Thank you. Pleasure to talk to you. Shona Braille is an economic geographer, urban planner, and uh, an associate professor over at the Institute for Management and Innovation at the University of Toronto and Mississauga. So there you go. We just don't have the data. We don't know what we don't know. Therefore, isn't it a big mistake to enshrine it in the collective agreement of one of the biggest unions in the country? 